Turn to Hebrews 11. Last week we started looking at the part of this chapter where uh, the writer of Hebrews deals with Moses. And uh, we pick up in verse 27. Pick up in verse 27. 27 serves as a summary statement uh, that basically covers the entire book of Exodus. And so if you don't want to read the whole book of Exodus, you can just read verse 27. I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, so let's look at this verse. Uh, By faith he, okay, he meaning Moses, left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. All right? We're just going to hang out in this verse for a second. Uh, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Okay? So as I said, it's a summary statement that covers a lot of, of things. Uh, so by faith he left Egypt, meaning that like this is the Exodus. This is the Israelites who were enslaved uh, there in Egypt. Uh, this was their Exodus, their exit from uh, the oppression of Pharaoh that was there. This was promised, and this was the fulfillment of all that. And so uh, by faith Moses left. And he, by faith, he was not afraid of what the king, okay, or the Pharaoh, was going to do. And so, th- when I say it's a summary statement, we can, like, if I were to just break it down into bite-sized chunks, um, we're talking, uh, this covers his 40 years in Midian, okay? So, he was born and uh, was supposed to be killed, but his parents put him in a basket and floated him down the river. He was adopted by Pharaoh's uh, daughter, and grew up in the household of the Pharaoh as one of his own uh, you know, grandkids. When he was 40, he decided that, that, he, he decided that that was not for him. He knew he was a Hebrew. Uh, he knew that those were his people, that they were being oppressed. And so he left uh, rather than and have all the treasures and all the whatever that would come uh, with being a part of Pharaoh's house. He left. He went to Midian. He got married, and he lived in Midian for 40 more years. When he was 80, um, he had the, the, the ex- experience where uh, he came upon a shrub that was burning, but it wasn't being consumed, and, so, and, and God himself began to speak to him through this. And this is when God said, hey, um, I'm going to deliver my people out of the oppression of Egypt, and you're going to be the one to do it. And he was like, I don't really, you know, I'm not a good speaker. I don't know if I'm the guy. And God's like, you are the, you're the one that I want. I'm going to empower you to do this. Um, I'll let Aaron come along with you a little bit, and he'll kind of help as well. But you're going to be the guy. It's going to be you. You need to go to Pharaoh, and you need to start telling him what's up. And so at 80 years old, um, Moses goes back into Egypt, goes to the Pharaoh, and says, hey, you need to let the people of God go. You need to let the Hebrews go. And Pharaoh said, Negative. That's not going to happen uh, because he had all this labor. Then they were doing all these things, and that wasn't going to going to go on. And so Moses was like, "Okay, well then this is going to happen." And so they go through uh, this back and forth thing where Moses says, "Do this." Pharaoh says, "No." And then there's a plague, and it goes through the ten plagues. Um, the Nile rivers turn to blood. Then there's a bunch of frogs and a bunch of gnats and a bunch of flies. Then all the livestock die, and then there's boils on them, Ugh. Um, and uh, then I can't read my own writing. Oh, hail. Uh, then there's locusts. Then there's darkness. And then there's the tenth plague, which is the killing of the firstborn 
or whatever. And so all of these plagues that go through, these were areas of life in Egypt where the Egyptians would worship these, these false gods. And they thought that because of their worship, that, that these areas were protected in their life. So they worshiped the Nile River. Uh, they thought that that, that was... Uh, there was a God who either was the river or oversaw the river, and so they worshipped that. And so when the Hebrew God makes the Nile River turn to blood, he's demonstrating the fact that the Nile River submits to him. That the Hebrew God is the boss of the Nile River, and of all the livestock, and of all the, the crops, and of all the, you know, the, the sun and the moon, and all these things that they worshipped. He systematically goes through and just uh, proves over and over and over again that the Hebrew God forces all these things to submit to him because he's the one true God. And so uh, on the 10th plague, the firstborn of every household is killed, and including Pharaoh's house. And that is when Pharaoh says, just get out of here, take whatever you want, you know, take off. So they left uh, and got to the Red Sea, and the Red Sea parted, and they went across on dry land, and they were out. And so this entire like sequence of events that I have just randomly sped through um, all throughout the book of, of Exodus is summed up here in this verse when it says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. All right? So from the beginning of this series, we've talked about how the things that we can see around us are meant to inform the unseen of the future, and the unseen things that God we, that we know is doing among us. That's a part of faith, and living by faith, is uh, we, we just trust that there's more going on than we can see at the moment. And that as time unfolds, uh, we don't know what the future holds, but we, we know the one who holds it, you know, as the old saying goes. And so there's just this element of, of going into the unseen and trusting but how it's not blind faith because we have all kind of evidence around us that we can see. We have creation around us that we can see. We have our own experiences and things we've been through that we can see. We live in community with each other where we see God doing these things. And so here we see in this verse that a part of the reason why Moses left Egypt by faith and a part of why he wasn't afraid of what the king was going to do to him was because he had seen the one who was invisible when that shrub was on fire and was talking to him. Now, you and I may not have an experience that's that clear and stunning and whatever, and that's okay, because we have all kinds of stuff around us as well. So Moses let the scene, the things he had seen visibly, inform the unseen of whatever the Pharaoh might do to him. And whatever leaving Egypt might cost him. And whatever the unknown that lies ahead, he didn't just forget about the fact that there is a shrub on fire that talked to him. Just like you and I can't forget that there's a God who created all this stuff around us and who's changing lives all around us and changing our own lives and has given us the scriptures and all these things that he has done. And so this summary verse kind of encapsulates all this stuff that happens in the book of Exodus. Um, Verse 28 and 29, the author now picks two very specific instances within that greater story. Uh, So 27 is a big picture verse. 28 and 29 get very specific. He chooses the Passover and chooses the Red Sea crossing uh, for us to learn about 
verse 28. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. All right? So, by faith he kept the Passover. Um, you don't need to turn to Exodus 12, but you can just write down, if you're a note taker, that that's where this is. We're going to throw these verses up uh, on the screen. Um, in verse 11, he's been giving these, these instructions. And, and so what, Moses goes to the people and he's like, okay, here's, here's what you're, you need to do. You need to take a one-year-old lamb and you need to kill it and you need to uh, prepare it to be eaten, and you take the blood of the, the lamb, and you need to spread it on the, the doorposts and the sideposts of your, of your home. And uh, then you need to prepare the food this way, and you need to... He gives all these instructions about things. And, this, and he says, because here's what's going to happen. Um, the, things are going to get crazy. Look at verse, the end of verse 11. Um, or you look at verse 11. It says, In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. Okay, This was not how they normally did meals. He's like, you need to be ready to go at, at any moment. Whenever it's time, you just need to be ready. Okay, So you're going to basically, you're going to like pack a lunch. And you're going to have like your shoes on your feet, which you did not, that's not how you would eat normally at this time. And you would not eat all dressed and ready to go and your staff in your hand. That's not how they did things. He's like, this, but you need to do it on this night because we're leaving and you won't have a lot of notice, and so you need to be ready to go. Uh, in the end of verse 11, he says, It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. Okay, this is God talking. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood... I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Look at that verse again, 13. The blood, okay, the blood on the doorpost shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So he gives all these details. Look back at verse 28. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood. All right. By faith, Moses receives these instructions from the Lord and passes them on to the people. Now, think about how weird that probably was for him. He's like, okay, here's what I need you to do. And he gives all these instructions, all these specifics, and kind of weird, you know, smear blood on the outside of your house. And when God sees the blood, he's not going to. Everybody will be fine inside your house. But he believed that this is what God was telling him to do, and the people believed as well. And they heard it from him. They're like, "All right, we're in. Let's do it." And so, by faith, they they kept the Passover. They did what they were supposed to do, and the the meal and the ways that they prepared it and all these things became a regular thing, a yearly thing in their calendar for them to celebrate. And to point back to and to remember what God had done. This was a major, a major part of the Jewish calendar. Um, because they believed, like it says in the end of verse 28, that the destroyer, the firstborn, was not going to touch them. They believed that the destroyer would not touch them. Here's what it comes down to. They believed that God was going to spare them and save them. 
that the blood on the doorposts was an indication of who they belonged to. They believed that as God passed through where they lived, that basically he would be coming through and he would see the blood and be like, okay, mine, 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 not mine. Mine, mine, not mine, not mine, not mine, mine, mine. They believed the goodness of God, that he was going to save them, that, that this was a, the next plague that was going to come, and each one of these things that was happening was more a greater and greater demonstration of who he was, and that these were his people, and he was taking them. He was making good on his promises, that he was going to do exactly what he said that he would do. Putting, it wasn't about the, like, is there blood on the doorpost or not, Putting blood on the doorpost was a demonstration of their faith. This isn't a legalistic thing of saying like, oh, well, so you just had to make sure you put blood on there and it doesn't really matter what was going on. You wouldn't put blood on your doorpost and do all these things if, if in your heart you did not believe that this was, was God's plan and what was going to happen. There's a connection between the heart and the action. That's why it says that Moses, and I believe you can bring all of Israel into this, they kept the Passover by faith. By faith they believed that the destroyer was not going to, to harm them. That they would be spared. We have to see a connection between those two things. And of course he's building something deeper with them. Saying like, when I see the blood, I know that you're mine. And I will, pa- I will pass over you. I will not destroy you. You will be saved. You will be rescued. You will be spared. Because you are mine. And because of your faith in who I am as the one who keeps his promises to his people. And then verse 29. So Pharaoh's firstborn dies and that's just the final straw. And he tells them all to leave. And they leave. And Pharaoh finds out you know, he knows kind of the route that they went. He kind of comes to his senses, and he's like, how could I get rid of all this you know, free labor? And so he pursues them, because he knows the way that they're going, they're going to run into the Red Sea, and they're not going to be able to go any further. And so um, the Israelites get to the Red Sea, and they kind of turn on Moses for a second, and they're like, oh, you tricked us, right? Like they didn't have enough graves, so you just brought us out here to kill us all. And it's just this whole yang-yang type thing you know, that we see a lot in Exodus, uh, from, uh, from the people, and, and they get up to the sea, and so, you, you, if you've seen the Ten Commandments, the movie, you know, at every Easter when they play it, you've probably seen this, you know, but Charlton Heston stands up on the thing, he's Moses, and he has a staff in his hand, and he holds it out, and, you know, he's like, watch the deliverance of, of the Lord, and this wind starts to blow, and the waters part, and, um, and so the, the water, like, stands up, and it says, in, when you read the account in, uh, I think it's in 14, Exodus 14, it says the water was like a wall. Like it wasn't like, it didn't just like kind of go like off somewhere else or whatever. It was standing up like a wall. And they walked on dry land with these walls of water on each side and they crossed. You know, like a million people had to cross this body of water. And so God is holding the Israelites, I mean the Egyptians back and he lets all his people cross on dry land. But they had to walk in between these walls of water. Can you imagine getting to the halfway point and maybe kind of freaking out for a second? You know, because there's these walls of water and you're like walking through. You're like, man, this is pretty cool. And then you start to think like, what if? You know, 
what, what could happen? This could get really bad. Can you, I would think there would be like a stampede when you get closer to the other side. People start to freak out and, and all that. But, but it says, by faith, the Israelites walked across that dry land. I think sometimes we think, like, well, of course they did, you know, whatever. Like it, but think about, that was a tremendous act of faith. Believing that God was going to hold back those waters until they got to the other side. They went from a place of certain death. Okay? The Egyptians were pursuing them. They were outnumbered. They, these people were not warriors. They were not fighters. and were not whatever. Um, they were in a place of basically being driven into the sea or being slaughtered. And the water parts. And they have the opportunity to literally cross from death into life on dry land. But they had to walk between these walls of water and trust that God was going to deliver them and spare them. He had passed over them. He had already said, these are my people. They are mine. I'm going to deliver them. And they had to put legs to it, very, very literally. And they walked across, and they got to the other side. And as, once they were on the other side, the Lord let the Egyptians pursue them, and they all go out there, and then the waters crash down, and they have this really weird party celebrating the drowning of thousands of these Egyptians, which seems a little bit morbid, but we'll just kind of roll with it. Uh, and... They're on the other side, and the promises had been fulfilled. It wasn't complete. I mean, there's still more in front of them, but God had led them out of Egypt. He had miraculously saved them. They could not have done it themselves. He had done it. He had accomplished it. They had to take these literal steps. In Exodus 15, there's a... uh, there's this whole thing, it's called the Song of Moses, and um, a song that's mostly about, they're really pumped that, all, that they all drowned, okay? Uh, they're just very excited about that. But in verse 13, there are a couple of like really uh, things that are not related to the destruction of the Egyptians that are really just praising who God is. Verse 13 says this, it says, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You've guided them by your strength. To your holy abode. And that was their perspective. They're like, he just, he just led us. He saved us. His steady arm guided us the whole way. They believed that he was going to pass them over, that, that, that he would not destroy them because they were his, because they trusted him, and he made good on his promises. And so, many years later, Jesus uh, is celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples, and he takes what was normal to them as the Passover elements, and he does something really different with them. He adds uh, deep and profound meaning to the Passover meal by essentially saying, okay, the, the blood of the lamb that was on the doorpost that when God saw it, he would pass over because he knew that you were mine. Okay, that, that blood um, is my blood. Like, I am, I'm the sacrificial lamb. I'm the one who, like, when it's my blood that's applied to, to your life, God looks at you and says, one of mine. And you will be saved. You will be spared from the judgment against sinners because you have been identified as Christ's. So he says, this is the blood. This blood is the new covenant 
in my blood. Um, he says, I'm the lamb. And I'm the one that's going to do it once for all, and it's going to be done. You won't have to do this over and over again. It's, it's done. And my body will be broken for you and for your sins. He says, this is, he's basically saying, this is really what Passover is about. This is really about the redemption of the children of God. And so we're going to celebrate communion together uh, here in a few minutes, uh, recognizing that this is the greater Passover meal. This is the completion, this is the fulfillment of what God started so long ago. And the same thing applies, that when he sees the blood, he says, mine, mine, my son, my daughter, no judgment, Payment for sin already poured out on Christ. No more wrath, no more condemnation, no more separation. Nothing, none of that stuff remains. Only sonship. Only being daughters. Only being heirs. Only being adopted into the family. And so we celebrate that. We celebrate the fact that He sees the blood when He sees us. And so we're going to sing a little bit and kind of prepare to take it, and then we're going to take it, and we're going to sing a little bit more, and uh, that's just kind of how it's going to how it's going to roll. So, as the band comes forward, let me pray for us. Let's stand together. Jesus, thank you for for the fulfillment of of so much, so many things that you have promised to us and uh, have made good on. We're grateful for your rescue of Israel and the way that you led them faithfully out of Egypt and out of that oppression. The way you demonstrated your authority and power over all these false gods and led your people out. And I'm grateful for their faith in you as they trusted you enough to walk out in, in between these walls of water. And they crossed from death to life by faith. And we thank you, Jesus, that you invite us to do the very same thing. To trust that uh, by following you forward in faith, that you lead us through life, from death into life because of what you have done. That because, because of the blood that you shed on the cross for us, the Father looks at us and he sees the blood and he says, Mine, my son, my daughter. We thank you that much, much like Israel, we are able to pass safely through because of what you have done. It is not an issue uh, of our works, and nothing that we have earned, no more than they earned it. It is simply and only your grace at work among us. And so help us as we prepare and as we sing a little bit, as we get ready to approach the table. Um, Help us to be able to do so um, just in spirit and in truth that we could we'd recognize our need for grace. We'd recognize the goodness of a Savior who has clearly set the table for us. It says, here's what you need. Come to me. 
All who are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. We thank you for the freedom from laws and having to act right and do right. Thank you for freeing us from a mindset of having to earn everything that comes our way. Thank you for giving freely and generously to us. And help us as we sing, as we approach the table and as we return to our seats and as we take the supper and as we continue to sing uh, our prayers that everything you had in mind by instituting this Passover meal and by bringing the greater Passover understanding through Christ, that everything you had in mind by building this into the way our community is to function as a church, that we would soak up all the goodness that you had in mind.